As Zika continues to spread in South America, a new clinical review on BMJ.com looks at what we know about the science of the virus and the management of the infection. I've come to the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust to meet one of the authors of that review, Ian Cropley, who's an infectious disease consultant, and also to meet Juliet, who's actually had the infection. Right, this story kind of starts with you, Juliet. You went on holiday to Colombia and then noticed when you came back that something was going on. So what happened? What was the first thing that you realised um, that, that you might have picked up something on your travels? So literally I arrived back to London on uh, Sunday and I started a new job on Monday. I was I was absolutely fine Monday, Tuesday, apart from the fact that I was, I didn't sleep very well. I was sweating a lot overnight. And um, on day three, so on Wednesday, I, I had all these aches and pains in my body, but because it was my third day in a new job, I, I had to come in. So I came to work and in the morning I, I noticed that it was a bit strange on my chest and I thought, oh, maybe I got a little bit sunburned because I am a bit more red than usual. Then I came to work and I started to read all these introductory materials and um, I noticed that I had um, red spots on my arms as well. And I wasn't feeling well. Um, I really wasn't feeling well. I had aches and pains in my body. I really couldn't concentrate. Um, it was a, a struggle. And uh, and around midday, I was uh, more or less covered uh, with the spots. And I decided to go down to A&E. I was seen by a GP at first at A&E, who was uh, absolutely puzzled. <laughs> yeah. by, by then I was I was really covered with, with all these red uh, spots and um, and then he asked for a second opinion so a second GP came in they looked at me and they didn't know what to do they were thinking that you know it really looks like measles but it is unlikely that it is measles and I was referred on to the e e doctors uh, who also looked at me and uh, then um, uh, an infectious disease spe- specialist came down and they took um, some blood samples and um, I was sent home, to be honest. Mm. And uh, I was told that they would give me a call uh, when they checked the blood samples against certain diseases. Um, I went home and probably I slept for 18 hours straight away. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't well. Yeah. And um, and after that, I pretty much I just stayed in bed for the next four days. The first two days were a bit harder. Um, it, it really feels like having the flu without the fluish symptoms, like coughing and blowing your nose and having a sore throat, so aches and pains in your back and, and my tights. And also because... Um, because of the of the red skin rash um it um my skin was aching it really felt like having a bad sunburn all over your body so i had to take quite a bit of paracetamol because because my, because of that skin ache mm. you know it, mm. that kind of burning stretchy sensation sure now um yeah this was back in november probably before most of the world had even heard of Zika. So um, 
uh, when Juliet was coming in and presenting as uh, a traveller coming back from the tropics, um, this sort of brings up the differential diagnoses here. So, so what would have been going through the infectious disease um, registrar or, or consultant's mind at that point? So the problems Juliet was describing are um, quite common. We see people coming back from the tropics very often with fever, rash, um, headache, uh, and it can be any of a number of conditions, and there are actually a, quite a wide variety of conditions. Um, Juliet had been in Colombia. Uh, we know that there is a lot of dengue virus and chikungunya virus in South America at the moment. Uh, chikungunya has recently arrived there, uh, and so we've been seeing quite a few cases of that. So we wondered if it might be chikungunya um, on the blood tests, or possibly dengue fever. Um, but we also look at uh, a website called ProMed Mail, which is a uh, uh, it's run from America, from the Infectious Diseases Society of America, and it's very good at posting early reports from around the world of outbreaks that are happening. We have a meeting once a week where all of the infectious diseases consultants and junior doctors get together and we discuss problem cases or cases that we can't diagnose. And it was at one of these meetings that Juliet's case was discussed and uh, we'd read about Zika on ProMed Mail uh, and uh, we wondered if it, it could be Zika. Um, we'd excluded most of the other common conditions by then. The testing for Zika is done at one place in the UK at the moment, at the Public Health Laboratory. Um, and this is back in November when things were just starting and they were they were getting their tests up and running then. And we asked them, given that the chikungunya and dengue tests were negative and the other tests was ne were negative, whether they might consider running Zika tests. Uh, and they did. Uh, and it was uh, a few days later that we found out that Juliet's test was positive. Mm. At the moment, um, if someone comes back from, from abroad and uh, has been travelling in South America, they're automatically going to think Zika virus. Um, uh, but how likely is it that it is Zika as opposed to dengue or chikungunya or any of the other things that you could have? The Public Health England laboratory has tested hundreds of samples for Zika virus uh, in the, the current outbreak. So far there are fewer than 10 positive uh, results out of all of these hundreds. So the probability is, is very low. All of the people who've had blood samples submitted uh, will have had compatible symptoms, but they are pretty non-specific symptoms. People are much more likely to come back from traveling with flu or a cold or traveler's diarrhea um, and then the other infections are probably still more common, like dengue and chikungunya, uh, and a range of other illnesses that need to be excluded. Um, so I think it's wrong to assume that just because somebody's ill, having come back from Latin America, uh, that it's Zika, that there is a differential diagnosis, and they, it should be thought of in terms of the differential diagnosis. And, um, I mean, you've mentioned there that chikungunya and uh, dengue are path of differential diagnosis and actually the vector is um, very similar for for all of these diseases what is the similarity between these viruses and and zika zika virus like these other viruses dengue and chikungunya are spread by mosquitoes and commonly in latin america by Aedes aegypti 
which is a common day-biting mosquito. So um, people have to cover up and wear mosquito repellents to avoid getting bitten. Uh, these mosquitoes are very well adapted to the uh, urban environment and breed in small pools of water quite readily um, and, uh, and the infections can be transmitted widely if there is a large enough um, pool of uh, uh, places for the, uh, for the mosquitoes to breed. Um, dengue and uh, Zika virus are both flaviviruses, uh, so reasonably closely related, which makes some of the testing difficult as the, uh, the tests for, for Zika and dengue can cross-react. Uh, chikungunya is a different type of virus, uh, however, again, it is a, a, a virus spread by mosquito bites, again, the Aedes aegypti. What's the reservoir of disease for, for these viruses? Is it in the human population or is there an animal reservoir that's, that is um, fueling some of this as well? Zika was first found in the late 40s in the Zika forest in Uganda. Uh, and it was found in a monkey that had been uh, in the forest uh, and uh, ident was identified then as a new virus. We don't really know where it, uh, which animals it infects in the wild. Um, probably it infects primates, but also uh, possibly uh, non-primates. Since it's travelled around the rest of the world, it is highly likely that in Latin America the reservoir is purely human, so it's human-to-human -human transmission via mosquitoes without any other sort of reservoir. Um, so Julia, you said you, you came and you got tested and got a uh, diagnosis of, of Zika. How long were you unwell for and, and uh, what were the kind of you know, symptoms as, as time went on? Probably I was really on there for, for the first four days. I was really poorly for the first two days. I was really, I was thinking twice whether to get up and go to the kitchen and eat and <laughs> I just decided to stay in bed instead so and after that it, it just um, let's say for the first four days yes I was unwell and I was staying in bed but um, I stayed at home for seven days I think and for the last three days I was just recuperating I was feeling a little bit weak and worn out um, but after that it was gone actually it is quite a quite an easy infectious disease, <laughs> relatively, <laughs> to, relatively yes. to tell the truth. Um, so Ian, yes, uh, uh, as Juliet says, she didn't have some of the symptoms. So how, um, you know, how does her experience sort of compare to, to what we know about the, the, the usual course of, of the infection? I think it was a fairly typical infection that, uh, that Juliet had for the, for the sort of patients that we might expect to see in the UK. However, it's clear that a lot of uh, people who catch Zika don't come to medical attention, their infection is, is subclinical. And as yet, we're not sure exactly what proportion of infections are subclinical as compared to uh, people who have uh, an obvious clinical syndrome. And, um, you know, mention their pregnancy, obviously that is the big fear with um, uh, a potential link between Zika and microcephaly. Uh, so what do we know about about that link. Um, you know, what does the epidemiology say and, and is there any sort of putative mechanism of action that might be causing this? At the moment it's very difficult to sort out the epidemiology and what is real and what is not real, what is reporting bias uh, and ascertainment bias. Uh, 
the cases of microcephaly that have been reported in association with Zika, uh, the vast majority are from northeast Brazil. Um, it is not clear that microcephaly has been seen in uh, patients contracting, pregnant women contracting Zika in other parts of the world. Previously there was an outbreak of Zika in French Polynesia. Um, they have gone back and have looked at the, their rate of uh, fetal abnormalities um, and there seems possibly to be an association with some neurological symptoms. But at the moment, it is not yet clear whether there is definitely an association with microcephaly and Zika virus. Having said that, there are clearly documented cases of uh, people who've been to Latin America um, and have come back to uh, countries that are not affected by Zika and have been shown to have Zika virus in amniotic fluid. Uh, and in uh, babies who have died with microcephaly or pregnancies that have been terminated because of microcephaly, again, the Zika virus has been identified. So it does seem that Zika will infect the fetus and will get into the fetal brain. Mm -hmm. So presumably that is the partial mechanism of, uh, of, of microcephaly if actually the finding is genuine and is borne out by the enhanced epidemiological surveys. Mm. And it's not the only virus that, that does that and, and could potentially cause microcephaly. There are many infections, congenital infections, that, uh, that can cause microcephaly, uh, toxoplasmosis, cytomegalovirus, to name a couple. Now, you've, you've cleared the infection and everything, and uh, media attention is you know, on, on, on uh, Zika at the moment. Um, has any of this sort of worried you or, or do you feel quite happy about mm, Not at all. Um, one month on that I caught uh, the infection and um, um, it was established that it was Zika. Um, the infectious disease team called me back and, um, and asked for more samples. And um, when um, when it went through virology, I, were, I was given a call that they had um, some traces of the virus's DNA still in my urine. So I had to give more samples. And at that point, I, <laughs> I was a bit worried because I thought that it was clear. So you might, I thought that I, I healed or I recovered fully. Um, but the second samples are, um, were, were, were negative. So it's been okay I I literally I was ill for a week and that was it it was a bit of a shock actually that the virus was still in my body one month on mm -hmm. but I am not worried and um, and actually it is it is quite interesting how it is uh, how, how the whole story evolves because in November no one knew what was going on and but now it is it is it is like a, it's quite a big epidemic and um, and Actually, it's been it's been quite quite nice because um, I um, I keep giving blood, which is <laughs> which is uh, treated like gold dust <laughs> to um, what for to to establish like a testing battery for the virus. So it feels that you know I am supporting science. Um, they're using your blood. What to to get antibodies so that you can do no, it? They they're using um, Juliet's blood 
to validate their tests because there have been so few patients in the UK with confirmed Zika virus. We know that Juliet's had Zika virus. She has a good antibody response to the Zika virus. So uh, it's a, her blood is a very good test of whether the tests work to tell us whether people have had Zika virus in the past. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yes, uh, uh, Juliet mentioned you know the the um, period of time that that the virus remains in the body. So what do we know about that, and and how long should people you know be concerned after um, traveling if they they think they've um, contracted this? The incubation period of Zika we think is probably up to two weeks or so. Uh, and so if people are returning from areas where there is currently Zika virus uh, and they're symptomatic when they, they come back or they develop a, a compatible illness within two weeks of return, then we should be testing them for, for Zika virus. Uh, the virus is in the bloodstream for a few days, maybe seven days, but we, we say two weeks to be to be sure. It's certainly in the urine for longer than that, um, but not that much longer. Uh, and it's been detected 10 days in the urine following the, the symptom onset. The real concern is in men where it's been the virus has been shown to persist in semen for many, many days, many months. Uh, and there are documented cases of sexual transmission from men who have caught Zika virus in Latin America and have gone back to non-endemic uh, epidemic areas and have infected their female partners. Um, so that has clearly happened. The advice for women is they are probably clear of virus within a month or so of returning. For men, it is advised at the moment that they don't have unprotected intercourse for a month following a return to uh, an affected area if they've not had symptoms. If they have had symptoms, currently the UK advice is to not have unprotected intercourse for six months. Um, that advice may change, uh, but it certainly seems that the virus can persist for a long time in semen and can be infectious in semen for a long time as well. This clearly has major implications for uh, women planning pregnancies uh, and uh, if their partners go to go to Latin America and it is certainly worth seeking proper advice on this. The American guidelines also uh, suggest that women who are pregnant should not have unprotected intercourse at any time during their pregnancy with a partner who has been to an affected area. Just bless Susan, sorry. Absolutely, they're very precautionary measures indeed, but we don't actually know for sure what Zika does, whether there is a link with microcephaly, although it's looking that way. Um, and yes, better than safe than sorry. Mm. The number of people who travel to South America to go on holiday is fairly enormous. The um, presenting symptoms are pretty non-specific, and as you say, there is one place to test for Zika in the country. So if everyone who goes on holiday to South America gets a little bit of a fever um, to present, that's a, that's a big kind of 
a potential bottleneck there? I think we need to be quite clear what questions we're asking when we do any test or any investigation. Zika virus for virtually the majority of people who catch it is a trivial illness. Um, as, as Juliet described, it makes you unwell for a, for a few days, but recovers there, and there don't seem to be many severe complications, apart from the link with possible Guillain-Barre syndrome, which uh, has been described following Zika virus in a number of patients. Um, Guillain-Barre syndrome occurs after other infections too, like Campylobacter and Cytomegalovirus, um, but testing for that because of the possibility of Guillain-Barre I don't think particularly helps. Uh, we should target testing to people who are unwell on their return from affected countries or within two weeks of return from, their, uh, from the infected countries to make sure that they haven't got anything else and to provide them with a diagnosis. And then the other group of people that we would like to try and test are people who are pregnant, who have been ill, or who are planning a pregnancy. Unfortunately, as yet, we don't have a sufficiently robust test to tell whether somebody has had Zika virus in the past, in the recent past. So if they're over the symptomatic period, um, we would normally look for antibodies in these infections, and we're not sure how reliable that test is yet. We know that there is going to be some cross-reactivity with antibodies to other flaviviruses like dengue, and we also don't know yet whether a negative antibody test excludes previous infection with Zika virus. So there are, there are questions there, um, but I think we need to be targeted to the people in whom a result is going to make a difference. Uh, what is the, the current UK guidance on travelling to, to South America? Should people be worried about it, cancelling holidays, things like that? The current travel advice for well people going to Latin America, countries where there is, is Zika, is to cover up to wear mosquito repellent um, and uh, to try and avoid getting bitten, but as we know, that's quite difficult. Um. Yeah, I mean, like, what can you do? The thing is that these, these mosquitoes are really, really vile. They, they bite you during the day. So normally in Europe, you are used to that, you know, you've got the mosquito and it goes like zzz, for half an hour, then finds a spot on you and then like, you kill it and that's it. But uh, these mosquitoes are not like that. So they are tiny and like, they go like, and uh, you are bitten in a split second, even during the day. So I think as we are coming from Europe, it is so natural to us to, to wear shorts and, tops when we are hot but actually locals and even the indigenous people they always wear long long trousers and they cover themselves and i think this is the only thing even though it doesn't come naturally to us i think this is a good advice so Yourself, just being yeah, yeah being aware mosquitoes. of mosquitoes as well as the sun and just being aware it's not night time as we would expect no, yeah. over here no, but no, daytime no, no, as well it is very very easy to get bitten you you really can't do much about it to be honest and these mosquitoes are really tiny, really fast and really silent. So, The advice to pregnant women is not to go unless you absolutely have to. Uh, 
I think if you are a man and you're considering fathering a child in the immediate future, it is worth thinking about whether you should go as well because of the known persistence of of a uh, virus in the in the semen. Uh, there isn't clear guidance on that as yet, but there may well be as as more information becomes available. What do we know that we need to to look for now? What's the kind of missing areas of of knowledge or evidence that we need to kind of go forwards and and understand this virus more? I think working out the epidemiology and whether there is genuinely a link between Zika virus and microcephaly is obviously absolutely essential to know because a lot of advice and management is is based on that. Um, if that is borne out, we need to know what the chances are of uh, a, a Zika virus infection in a pregnant woman causing a problem. Um, we need to know whether our tests can reliably exclude Zika virus infection uh, and we need to know what the risk of sexual transmission is again. On a more uh, scientific um, research basis I think it's important for us to try and understand what actually Zika is doing in fetal brains uh, to cause microcephaly if, if that is the case and find out uh, just what cells it is infecting. There's no specific treatment at the moment uh, and I don't think there's anything immediately in the pipeline for that. The best control for Zika will be a vaccine um, but again there's no vaccine currently available uh, and anti-mosquito measures within uh, within states that have Zika virus infection. What do we know about the potential spread of, of Zika um, given the vectors and, and given the, the sort of large reservoir of disease now? I see no reason that Zika should not spread in much the same way as dengue and chikungunya have spread and really that's dependent on the presence of mosquitoes that are able to transmit it which we think is predominantly the Aedes mosquitoes at the moment um, and certainly there are Aedes aegypti mosquitoes elsewhere in the tropics that, that are capable of, of spreading it. Um, there are areas in the world with Aedes Egypti mosquitoes that uh, don't have Zika yet and they are very worried about the arrival of Zika and the, the possibilities of, of problems. Uh, Southern Europe um, has mosquitoes capable of transmitting the, uh, the virus. Um, there's a mosquito called Aedes albopictus which uh, is present in parts of Europe and uh, was in fact responsible for an outbreak of chikungunya in Italy a few years ago. As of yet, we do not have mosquitoes capable of transmitting the virus in the UK. The clinical review on Zika virus is now available for free on the bmj.com where you can also access the latest advice from Public Health England and stay up to date with advances in the science as they happen. And to help with that, um, the BMJ and all of the other specialist journals that we publish will be waiving open access publication fees until July 2016. So to find out more about that and all about the science, visit bmj.com slash free resources.